This is the Daily Planet Special News Bulletin. Lois and Clark is our jam. We're talking about Terry Dean and Superman. We'll cover it all, at least we'll do what we can. And now, it's time for the show. And welcome back to another episode of Lois and Clark, the new podcast of Superman. My name is Matt Truex, and we've got an interview today, folks. This uh, is one that I'm very excited for. Um, longtime uh, stunt performer, worked on Lois and Clark, worked on a billion other shows, and is nice enough to be joining me uh, to talk today. Uh, welcome to the show, Mr. Scott Leva. How are you, sir? Good. Thanks for having me. Uh, so excited to have you here, man. So, um, I have seen that picture of you and Dean uh, in your Superman suits next to each other a million times. So it's it's really is a thrill to have you here on the show. And really, you've been you've been doing stunt work since what the mid seventies or so? Yeah, mid seventies, I would say. Superman in New York, uh, the Dick Donner one, um, mid to late seventies. Yeah, yeah, incredible. I, I mean, like. There's so much I want to talk to you about, but if if we could just like kind of get the the baseline, like where, how did you get into stunt work? Was, was it a family? Well, thing? I always had this sort of pat answer. I sort of fell into it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I was a I was a competitive gymnast, and I was pursuing acting in New York, uh, trying for Broadway and off Broadway and so forth. And because of my skills, I was. Oh, instead of waiting tables, I ended up being a professional stuntman okay. um, where I would get hired to do this and hired to do that. And I had somebody once that was trying to help me with my career um, that was giving me all this information that was wrong because he put this portfolio together with my headshot on it. But the stunts on the back were for movies and TV shows. Well, this is just show stuff you can do. That's not how you do it. So I kind of had a learning curve when I first started way back in the seventies. Okay. So, um, uh, so is it, is it the fact that, you know, you, you've got this, this gymnast history behind you that makes the idea of falling professionally on camera sound a little bit better. You, like you have a good air sense yeah. uh, as a gymnast, divers, gymnasts, um, you know, football players are really good with taking poundings. Um, every little skill, but being able to do, you know, acrobatics uh, was extremely helpful, especially with an air sense. Interesting. And, and, and I guess um, kind of knowing how to, how to move your body probably helps a lot and just having a good sense of your, your own physicality. Yeah. 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 That, that's interesting. So, so like how you say you fall into it, but like, what, what is the first gig? Is, is it big stuff first? Like, do you kind of work your no, way up? Um, New York had a whole different thing. The LA guys were like the primo people and they would always come to New York and they get the jobs and they would hire a local, but in most cases they bring their buddies and mm. their good doubles and we would get the secondary work. Um, but we'd start off small. Um, they never gave anybody anything too big. Um, there used to be a gym at Sutton Place called Sutton's Gym, which was a gymnastics gym. And most of the stunt guys went there and worked out. And that's where we would improve our skills. And that's uh, where I was meeting because I used to train at Sutton's Gym. And that's where I'd meet some of the stunt guys. Interesting. Very but, cool. Uh, and kind of get into their world through that. Yeah. And then one guy or the other would introduce you to someone else. And then you would do uh, 
there were some really good driving schools I went to that were there. Um, the best one, they had a stunt driving, but the best one was Bonnerant had this evasive course that they would train chauffeurs and drivers that if they were being chased or followed, that they had a way. And that oh, gave wow. them the best slides and skids and how to turn around tight corners. And that was really the class to take was the evasive driving course because it gave you better sense than just sliding a car into a parking space or weaving around. It gave you really good hands-on, especially if you're going to utilize that for an actual chase scene. That's amazing. Like, yeah, so. See, I don't think I could fall out a window or whatever, but I might be able to learn how to drive. Like, that sounds very cool. Yeah, there are race, course, race courses, anything that gave you a development of skill. And we had some good people in New, New York that had good classes. People came in from all over the world um, mm. to train with the Bonnerant training course. Awesome. So like, does that, when, you, when you're training with that type of thing, like what, where do you start in, in the stunt world? Was it, was it Superman? Was it, you know, Superman, the movie? Um, I did some low budget movies before that. I don't really recall. Uh, Superman was the big one. There's a guy in New York by the name of Alex Stevens and Alex was the New York stunt coordinator on Superman. Okay. And I got to be friends with Alex and Alex brought me in as his protege. And I got to do some, some pretty cool stuff, but a lot of it would be called indie nondescript stunts. Okay. I'd be a passenger in a car or we had some stuff that we shot in New York that ended up being cut. So there was a whole bunch of stuff shot in New York that ended up just on the cutting room floor. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask like what, what part of the movie is like, I, I don't think you're trading blows with Kryptonians or anything here. You no, know? we had a, a chase sequence down New York city street that got cut. Um, we did originally Lois tried to find out that Clark was Superman because they were shooting Superman one and two together. Right. And we had an awning that the stunt girl fell into. Yeah. She like jumps out the window, almost like daring. And him he to... uses his heat vision and super breath to yeah, yeah, yeah. catch her. And then they cut that. And that ended up being the Niagara Falls sequence. Mm hmm in uh niagara falls in niagara falls interesting so we, okay we, I, we we actually had the blackout during the superman movie um really had, yeah we had a bunch of generator lights on we were probably the only lights in the city at the time <laughs> and there was one time i was on set um chris came out of the dressing room in the suit and then wardrobe comes in and they loosen the back and they tie the cape on so it goes through the collar. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of cool because when you look at Chris, I mean, he was, you know, he was Superman. He was Chris Swan Superman. You would look at this. 100%. To this day, I can't think of anyone, no, no disregard to Dean Kane or anyone else. But to me, as far as I'm concerned to this day, that was the epitome of Superman. Oh, I understand. So you just... You're talking epitome of Superman. You just dropped a Kurt Swan on me. And uh, listeners, you must know that Scott is sitting in front of a row of comics and art books and figures to the side. Um, was this, uh, you know, comic love from when you were a kid? Like, was this huge? Oh, I grew up with comics. Known? Yeah. I was a huge comic fan. The first comic book I ever read was Spider-Man number 39. Okay. And uh, that was okay. off that sort of drugstore rack. Yeah. Spinner rack I just thought it was the coolest thing and everybody loves Superman, but I became more of a Marvel fan because I just like the stories and the characters. 
Interesting. But uh, they all the same, it must have been thrilling as as you know, a guy just getting the sense that their first paycheck is is Superman, right? Yeah, yeah. That that's so yeah. exciting. And, and then Nick Donner, Nick Donner was amazing. I mean, he was just he's very friendly, he's very easygoing. That's that's awesome. That it's cool that he got to be there, you know, you know, that you were there with him and and Chris during all that. You, I, um, as far as shooting for the stunts, you, you might think that might go to a second unit director or something like that. But that's that's very cool. Yeah, I don't remember much as far as second unit. I think there was some second unit. It was mainly um, geographical shooting. There wasn't a lot mm. of action that was shot. They shot in Canada. They shot at Pinewood Studios in England. Right. And they shot uh, in New York for certain of the, the um, metropolis sequences. Very cool. Very cool. So, so you're getting your feet wet with, with Superman and the indie movies and stuff. And then, and then some, some titles start coming your way, like Splash you were credited for, which, which sounds incredible, you know, the classic movie right there. Um, and then your kind of first bout, I, I think your first bout with, with Marvel comics getting hired by Canon for the Spider-Man movie that that almost was. That was interesting. Yeah, when please. Moved, moved, when I moved to New York, um, I was actually in college in, in, in Washington, D.C., in Maryland, and a friend of mine owned a comic shop and wanted to have a Spider-Man appearance, so I called Marvel, and they were breaking things down, and I said, well, what if we hired local? They said, who? I said, what about me? And they said, well, you have to come to New York. We'd have to meet you. This is kind of a long roundabout story, but bear with me. No, please. We got all so the time in the world for this. I flew out to New York. I met with Barbara Mayer and I forget the head woman. And they had me put on the suit. And I, uh, they said, well, you're kind of short. And I realized I was five foot 10, 165 pounds. And if you read the Marvel handbook, Spider-Man was five foot 10, 165 pounds. I was going to say, it's Peter Parker. Every Spider-Man was 6'1", 6'2", that they hired. <laughs> okay. And they were all these tall, lanky guys. And I was this gymnast built. And I looked more kind of like a Romita Ditko-esque in-between mix. And awesome. I leapt up on the table and did a backflip with a half twist off and landed in Spider-Man pose. And long story short, I was hired. Um, so I got in with Marvel and I got to meet them and know them. And when I moved to New York, uh, Marvel offices set up to where Spider-Man would do messenger work for Marvel. So we would, okay. we would call a cab and we would, we would, sometimes I'd be going down yeah, Park Avenue on a, on top of a roof of a cab as Spider-Man or <laughs> worst cases, I couldn't get a cab and I actually was in costume riding a subway back. Um, I'm sorry, on the roof of a cab as Spider-Man? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm amazed they got away with it. That's incredible. Oh, like you talked to the cab driver. The cab driver was fine with it. And traffic, I got news for you. It doesn't really whiz in New York. It's well, fair cool. enough. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it was cool. Marvel finally set up this deal with a, a taxi service. Okay. Before we'd actually, actually have to get the cab and call the cab. <laughs> and sometimes they wouldn't want to pick you up until they kind of... But I got to meet literally everybody. I met Stan Lee and Jim Shooter and yeah. Grunewald and Danny Fingeroth and John Romita Sr. and John Romita Jr. Um, you must so have been I got freaking to know out them. this whole experience. Oh, it was amazing. And yeah. you'd see original artwork come in and we would have discussions in the bullpen. 
and um, it was the coolest thing. It was yeah. just the coolest thing. Um, and I love the people. Um, and they looked at me and they said, you know, you look like Peter Parker. And at the time, I guess I look like Peter Parker. So sure. not so much now, but then. <laughs> um, and so they would always have me do things like the, per, the promotional department loved one guy. He was very tall and thin and he was their Spider-Man. But anytime okay. there was a Marvel event that had to do with Marvel itself, that the bullpen, I was their guy. Okay. So there were some really cool things that I didn't get to do because they liked this other guy. Right. But and this is Marvel just the promotional bullpen, team. You're saying has their guy and they're sticking. That with was, him. that was their guy. But yeah. once in a while, something special would come up. Like I did the Macy's day parade the first year because <sighs> I was doing acrobatics and all this. And I was, sure. I was the only, you know, professional gymnast stuntman on their, their roster. So I got to do the first one. Um, the year we had a float though, and we put all the superheroes on it. They, they made me uh, daredevil. And then the main guy that they like got to be Spider-Man on the float. Okay. Um, but the cool thing, no matter how you look at it is Marvel comics itself always looked at me as their Spider-Man. So yeah. the promotion department. Okay. You like this guy, but Marvel, you know, um, Stan had moved on to the West Coast. Okay. And I was hanging out with people like Jim Shooter, and this Marvel movie was coming into effect. And originally it was Roger Corman had the rights. Right. And, and this, and this was going to get set up a canon. And this was before canon. Oh, before canon. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Roger Corman had the rights to do Spider Man. And I forget the name of the production company that Roger associated with, and it kept getting thrown around and so forth. And Stan had gone to the West coast to set up the West coast office. Okay. And I had met Stan a couple of times at conventions. I never met him out of costume. I was always Spider-Man. I never kind of met him, but um, we had a great time. Um, we did a roast. They were going to do a roast of the Marvel characters. There was, do you know the comic uh, Marvel Secret Wars? Uh, vaguely, yeah. Yeah, it was this whole big hoopla. It was terrible. I loved Jim <laughs> Shooter. But was this a live thing or like a, a TV? Like I'm. Thinking... It was a comic book. They did oh, Marvel okay. Secret Excuse Wars me. where they were going to introduce oh, no, the, the black suit. The symbiote. yeah, the roast. I guess was, was that going to be the roast was at a comic convention. Got yeah. Okay. Dan was there. Danny Fingeroth was there. Mark Grunewald. I forget everybody that was there. And um, we were introducing because I had the black suit on underneath the red and blue, and we were going to take off the red and show the black. Incredible. But, Marvel, without checking with me, had decided that I would roast them. And I'm like, because they were supposed to roast Spider-Man. Right. So I'm sitting there thinking, what am I going to do? Well, the first thing I did was I came off the balcony and grabbed a flag and swung down off the flag and jumped down. So oh the stuntman in me was always doing spectacular entrances. Yeah. And then we talked to the crowd and we unveiled a new suit and everybody went crazy. And then I started the roast um, I don't remember what I said about everybody. Um, Danny Fingeroth, a Jim Shooter, I think one of them was had done Secret Wars. I think it was Danny had written okay. Secret Wars. And I gave accolades to Marvel for their whole thing on child abuse. They had done this whole comic series about, not comic series, but they were pushing 
about child abuse. Mm, okay. And I said, I want to give a hand to Marvel for child abuse. And everybody applauded. I said, many of you don't know this, but Danny Fingeroth has been accused of child abuse and the whole room went quiet. Oh, God. And I said, well, who there has read Marvel Secret Wars? And everybody laughed. And even Danny <laughs> <laughs> So it kind of went on. And with Stan Lee, I said, well, what can I say about Stan that Stan himself doesn't say about himself? I <laughs> and I said, but Stan took me into his office and said, you know, you know, she, she, Spidey, we're going to introduce this new costume. Don't worry, it'll grow on you. And Stan goes, I don't sound like that. Just had an even bigger <laughs> I was laugh. Just say, this is an incredible yeah. Stan Lee. Dude. Yeah. So, you know, you hang out with these people. Yeah. Uh, and, but they were they, my... they really just like, they left you to hang there and just said, like, you roast us and come up with it. And I was off the cuff coming up with things. And oh everybody my God, got a laugh man. and talked about comics and this. And I did a lot of things. Uh, Ron Friends. Um, I did a couple of comic conventions with Ron and, all these guys became friends, but they were my biggest boost support for the Spider-Man movie. Mm. And it kind of went all cockeyed. And then Canon ended up taking over the rights getting okay. back to the movie. Yeah. And at this point, I had moved out to Los Angeles and I started working on promotions with Marvel West. Okay. And finally, promotions likes you. Good. Yeah. Well, they liked me there and they didn't have a lot of people in on the West Coast doing. And I was they, they had okay. a few of us, but I was their Spider-Man on the West Coast. And Stan was doing a commercial for organ transplants, be an organ donor. Okay. And so we did that. So I was Spider-Man and Ben Middleman was Captain America. And then they had this big molded rubber thing suit and we were all in the commercial and Canon was booming full force um, with the Spider-Man movie. They were going to make it their big, um, Sure. Flag, flagship thing. And they originally had pushed for Toby Hooper. Okay. I'm trying to get in the door. Right. I've got an agent. I've got all this stuff. I'm trying to and get in. And you've got the Marvel bullpen on your side at that point, too. It doesn't imagine. seem to mean shit. Yeah. I can't okay. get in the door. Excuse my French there. No, you're good. So, anyway, they're all pushing, but I think this is my chance. This is Stan. Mm -hmm. I've met Stan before, but I never met Stan. I never one-on-one -on -one with Stan. Right. You spidey so, met Stan. Yeah, we do the commercial. He's really impressed by the way I'm moving as Spider-Man. He's wow, you really know the character. And you get into this. And <laughs> how, how do you do that? And so I went back to the office at the end to say goodbye, where we all do. And I took off the mask. He's going, oh, you look like Peter Parker. You know they're doing a movie. And I said, I heard. Um, <laughs> It's one of the reasons I wanted to meet him, but I didn't get into that. Yeah. So we, we developed a relationship. We talk. I come by once in a while, maybe once a week, every other week, and we'd hang out. And there were other promotions and photo shoots that I got to do with Stan. Like there was a face-to-face -face Stan looking at Spider-Man, and there were all sorts of little... I've seen, yes, yeah, one of my questions, uh, you know, looking you up, obviously, before this is just, I I was amazed how much there was of you in Spider-Man costume and hanging out with Stan. And now this all makes sense. Oh yeah. No, yeah. I was, I was the guy. And then Cannon started moving full bloom and Joe Zito was the guy at Cannon because he didn't uh, missing an action, which was huge. It made okay. more money. It was a two point something million dollar movie and made over 25 million, which is a huge thing at the time for Cannon. Yeah. Especially for Cannon. And Joe was going up an elevator at Cannon with, Menachem Golan. Okay. Wow. And they started talking and he says, well, I'd like to do Spider-Man. And Menachem says, no problem. <laughs> and 
next thing you know, Joe's doing it. So now I'm pushing like a son of a gun to get in to meet Joe Zito because I had auditioned for uh, Invaders from Mars. Mm-hmm. Mars or whatever. I can't remember the Toby Hooper movie. And um, But you wound up doing, right? You, you yeah, I ended up, my line got cut. I had a line, but I'm still in the credits as okay. Army. Sorry, or I don't remember what it is. Um, but that was for me to try to get with Toby. And when I finally was there on set, this guy said, oh, Toby's not doing Spider-Man anymore. It's now Joe Zito. And I had worked months just to try to get in the door to meet Toby. Yeah. So now I started working on Joe Zito, trying to get in to meet Joe Zito. And I got to talk to Stan and I said, you know, I hate to say this, but if there's any way when you talk to Joe, if you could put in a word, Stan says, Little, I don't know what I can do. I, you know, I'm nobody. I said, Stan, you got a lot more going for you than you think. Yeah. Um, he, a lot of people kept mentioning me to Joe and finally Stan brought me up and Joe finally made a call and said, who is this Scott Leva guy? I keep hearing about him now, Stan Lee. So I got a meeting. I went to the office and um, we did a lot of talk about Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I gave him a bunch of comics that were specific because it all dealt with Doc Ock. So I explained the origin back in Spider-Man 3. And I brought up the whole history of uh, the mastermind and all this other stuff. And just gave him the key Doc Ock Spider-Man wants to do. Yeah. They were why, looking why at, Doc Ock? Were they looking? Did you hear that they were Doc Ock was going to be the villain. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And they were looking at Bob Hoskins to play. Oh my God. Doc Ock. Think of yeah. Bob Hoskins with the bowl cut. Yeah. I, I can um, see that for sure. But it got handed around a lot and there was a lot of stuff going on with it. And I was supposed to go to the Cannes Film Festival and do a whole presentation, but Canon cut that. Mm-hmm. And this was Joe's baby. Joe was, was behind it. I was Joe's guy. I was going to be a Spider-Man. Um, Menahem and Yoram go to the Cannes Film Festival and they meet with Pierre Spangler, Alec- Alexander Sockline, and they sell them Superman. Okay. Now they think this is the thing. We've got Superman and we've got Masters of the Universe. So Spider-Man gets pushed. Okay. Because now this is, talk- a, this is an established franchise. We've had a few movies at this point of Superman. Yeah. And he's yeah. always been big at the box office. And right. now, you know, we'll get Chris and maybe Chris will play Spider-Man. You know, they also mm. mentioned one of the writers, uh, Ted Newsom, liked the idea of Tom Cruise. Um, so I had competition, okay. mind you, at the time. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. But... Um, Another guy was Mitch Gaylord. They were, um, I forget, his agent was really pushing him. And, but I was Joe's guy. So since Joe was the director, and I, when I came in for the audition, which was a trip within itself. I, I was going to say, like, how many I, flips do you do for this at this point? Like, you're I'll finally you in the door. Something man. funny is I started doing the script. The script was not very good. Okay. I started reading it. And I turned to my agent who was helping me and I said, I can't do this. I've got to wear the costume when I do Spider-Man. I said, Spider-Man is an extension of Peter. And Peter is not Spider-Man without the mask. Even sure. if he's doing something, he'll put a bag or a web mask over his face. And then right. he, his confidence, I said, I have no problem with the Peter Parker part. I can't do Spider-Man without the mask. So he made a phone call over to Canon. Canon said, we don't have a problem with that. So a whole bunch of people sitting in the hall, all tall, thin, young guys that were reading for Peter Parker. And one guy sure. was talking to me and my agent said, come on, I need to pull you away from him. You, you, you got your own. I don't want you anybody to get into your head. 
So when it was my turn, I went into the bathroom, put on the Spider-Man suit and I walked in and Joe just went, oh my God. And I was doing <laughs> all the Spider-Man stuff and all the action and moving around. And then for when it came to Peter Parker, I just took the hood and, the, the, and I was Peter Parker and it was fantastic. I mean, they loved it. Um, bunch of agents called for the other actors and were pissed because who's this actor that came in and wore the uniform costume? Who got a suit? Yeah, exactly. That's unfair to the other actors and said nobody said they couldn't and nobody took advantage of it. And he supplied his own costume, which thankfully was the official Marvel costume. Just say, which helps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, so that was my audition. Um, as things started getting all weird because Canon had bought these movies and that's when Canon did what Caronco did, where they overstepped. They right. put so much money into stars, and the movies were, you're putting 50, 60, 70 million dollars in the movie, and it's pulling 15 or 20, and you're starting to lose money. Yeah. Superman 4, Master of the Universe, both bombed. So then they started going back to the low, low budget uh, genre, which they were thinking of doing Spider Man, but then Joe had walked away at that point because they weren't going to put the type of money in that. They needed to make Spider-Man work and it kind of went by the wayside. Okay. And then, but somewhere in there, like you're announced as Spider-Man. Yeah. I mean, at the very least you're on the comic cover, the famous comic cover. The comic cover was because um, Elliot Brown and Jim Shooter all said, this is Peter Parker. We don't have another actor that looks even close to him. Okay. Um, I did a lot of publicity for Canon as Spider-Man. I did shots all for the every poster that's about the Spider-Man movie, this live action is me. There's a split image of me as Spider-Man and Peter Parker that comes right out of the comic book. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what actually mask, one of my favorite pictures. Not. It's so cool. It's that's awesome. Yeah, so I did a lot of publicity, and I was I was Canon's guy unofficially, officially. Okay, I was gonna say yeah. So nowhere in there is th- they're saying like we're going with this guy. Right, well, right now we're just like because cool contractually, then they're screwed. Yeah. Okay. So while things were kind of up in the air, I was I their choice? Yes. Was it in writing? No. Interesting. I mean, like it's such a shame that that didn't get to happen. But what a cool story! Like you were kind of on the cutting edge of this stuff. You know, going to cons back then, being being featured as as Peter Parker on on a real cover, like. What, what was the sense from the fan community at the time? Like, were, were you doing any cons or anything like that? Like, did people know you as as the Marvel or the canon Spider-Man um, then? The only cons I'd always do would be as Spider-Man. And okay. In an official something capacity. That, that there's a slight disagreement with. Um, I also used to do hospital visits for Marvel. Okay. And Incredible. I had gone to a couple of cancer uh, wards. And I had met this kid, I forget his name. The only thing is he had a shaved head mm-hmm. and he didn't really believe I was Spider-Man. He just thought I was another doctor that was gonna give him an injection and we were talking. And this kid knew everything about Spider-Man and there was a thing he could throw at me I couldn't answer. Yeah. I can't shoot the webs in the hospital because of sanitary reasons. So they've asked me to remove the web shooters. <laughs> but I'd run up that wall and I backflipped off. And the next thing this kid's going, mom, did you see where Spider-Man? I was Spider-Man. That's kid, so cool. Yeah. And I told the kid, you know, we had the same haircut. And he asked me too. He said, you know, can, can you take off the mask? And I said, no. And he said, well, I know you're Peter Parker. And so I took off the mask and we talked. And um, it was really kind of a cool thing. And about maybe three or four months later, 
I was trying to put this stunt show together for Marvel to sell along with promotions. Okay. They told me to go meet with Roger Stern. So I went downstairs and I met with Roger Stern and I gave Roger my script and I told Roger um, my concepts for it. And Roger said, it's interesting because I'm thinking of bringing back the Green Goblin, but maybe as another persona. And I also told him about my visit to the hospital. And I said, this was really cool because this kid, I mean, anything Spider-Man, he collected it. The kid yeah. was just an ultimate collector Spider-Man. And I told him about the unmasking and all this and let him know, you know. And out of this, suddenly Roger does some of the stuff from the Hobgoblin is my dialogue from my script. And I swear to God, the story of the kid that collected Spider-Man is verbatim wow. what happened with me in the hospital with this kid yeah um and ron friends actually told me later well that's what writers do is they take someone else's ideas or concepts and kind of run sure them. but interesting so, yeah but you so can't the, the can't kid avoid collected spider-man is literally based on a real event interesting yeah except the kid's head was shaved it wasn't uh, a buzz cut like that yeah oh very very interesting man that that's an amazing experience too to yeah. To be able to give that kid, you know, that's very cool. Except his mother um, was in the room too, so it wasn't like the comic where I snuck in a window. And right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. So, like, I, I, I love, I love all things comics. I love Marvel, uh, but I'm a, I'm a DC kid at heart. Um, so we, we got to get to your sure. Lois and Clark days. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I know at that point in your career, like you, you're. Your IMDb, dude, is like endless. You see that that progress bar just like never <laughs> stops. You've worked on so much yeah, stuff. Yeah. Sometimes for a while, yeah. Yeah, sometimes as, you know, just, uh, uh, not just, excuse me. Sometimes you're credited as actor. Sometimes stunts, sometimes doubles, sometimes coordinator. Yeah. Um, like, where are you in your career in the in the early 90s here when Lois and Clark comes along? And, I'm and a stunt guy. I jump in? Okay. I mean, I've done acting. The nice thing is usually if I get, because I started out and I studied in New York with really prominent acting uh, teachers, Stella Adler, Uta Hagen. Oh my Lisa God. Rosberg. I mean, oh I my know God. them. I met them. Yeah. Um, I worked with them. Um, I went to Circle the Square, which was like a mini Juilliard. I was accepted yeah. to Juilliard, but didn't want to spend four years of my life. So I was an actor. Um, but when I was in LA, I, um, I just was pursuing the stunts because it was it's something I knew I was good at. People knew me at it. And you do what's called hustling, where you would go to the set and introduce yourself to the stunt people. And the guy that was doing it at the time was a guy by the name of uh, Dennis Scott. Okay. Dennis was the stunt coordinator on the first season of Lois and Clark. A guy named Michael Papajan was doubling not really a good double. Michael's an actor stunt guy and he's, he's really talented. And they also brought in a guy named Lincoln Simons. Okay. Lincoln had the Croft look with the hair, but as far as I'm concerned, wasn't really a good double, but I for heard Dave. they were looking for a new double. Yeah. So I go to the set and I'm standing outside for a good hour before the coordinator kind of comes out and reads me the riot act and says, Oh, I've got my this and this, and you shouldn't have them call me and bring me out. And I figured, okay, let it go. Right. So the second season, they bring in new producers and these producers always clean, you know, clean up and decide. Yeah. We're going to bring big, in our people. big clean house then. Yeah. Yeah. They clean house and they brought in Wally Crowder. 
Okay. And Wally had worked with his producer on a couple of TV shows, um, Reasonable Doubts and some other things. Why can't I remember the producer? Is this Robert Singer? Singer? Yeah, Robert, Robert Singer. Singer. Robert yeah. Singer. Wally was Robert Singer's guy. So I went in and introduced myself to Wally. Wally kind of gave me this speech that, well, I don't really bring in guys who can't do something for me. And that was fine. So and he was using Lincoln Simon still. So I kind of went off and did my own thing. And I did bring, I had a big car chase sequence. I was a stunt coordinator on a movie called Savage and I brought Wally in. Okay. And Wally's a phenomenal driver, by the way. And we set up this whole chase sequence and Wally was driving and near misses and everything. And Wally later said, okay, well, you did me solid. I owe you one. Got ya. So I get called to double uh, John Shea. Now, Luther's yeah. been killed off already. Luther's right. Dead. This is season two now. Yeah. Yeah. And John loves me. We're talking acting and character work. And I'm a pretty good double for John. And John says, they're bringing back Luther. And I said, no kidding. He said, yeah, you need to call them and let them know that I want you to double me. I said, awesome. fantastic. So I call Wally and I tell Wally. And Wally said, no, uh, Luther's dead. I said, but I just doubled John. I said, well, he's wrong. About a week <laughs> okay. later, I get a call from Wally. He says, okay, yeah, they're bringing Luther back in. And we so new script came in, yeah. So I start doubling John Shea from time to time. He gets okay. tackled, he gets knocked down, there's an explosion. Mm -hmm. And... Um, there's not a lot of work going on for Dean's double. Uh, Dean did all his own flying. Um, so there's not much in that those seasons, those early seasons of people besting Superman, punching him through walls or whatever. Nothing yeah. like that. Really. Yeah. And so we have this, this thing going on that Lincoln now, the big, big movie shooting is James Cameron's Titanic. And that's off of Baja, sure. California, Baja, Mexico. Mm -hmm. And Sony's got this huge, or Fox has this huge studio set up out there, and every stunt guy's going. I didn't want to go. It was uh, basically non-union, good right. money. That's why he's in Baja, Mexico, right? Yeah, like, every stunt guy and their yeah. brother's working on this. Lincoln's on that for six weeks. Okay. So Everyone's just falling off the Titanic as it sinks, I guess? You know? Well, they've got him sliding down. A lot yeah, of stunt okay. guys got hurt, broken bones, this and that. And it just oh. wasn't something I wanted a part of. Sounds like a smart move. But uh, Wally's off in Hawaii doing some TV show. And so he has a friend of ours covering Lois and Clark. Okay. So we go out to do Lois and Clark. And I'm supposed to double this guy that gets shoved back. And we're going to use an air ram, which is a pneumatic that throws. So I'm supposed to stand backwards and get thrown back by Superman. And I get there and they bring in Eddie Braun. Eddie's a good guy. He's much thinner than I am. And Eddie's a better double for the guy on the ram than I am. And I'm a better double for Dean. Mm -hmm. So the wardrobe and the hair goes, well, this guy's a better double. Can we switch him out? And uh, they go, yeah, why not? So I yeah, end up doubling Dean. Okay. I'm a good double for Dean. And then when Wally gets back, uh, wardrobe says, oh, the guy doubling Dean was right on. He was you know, he was slightly shorter, but build-wise and hair-wise, perfect. Nothing we had to do. So then Wally says, well, wardrobe and hair likes you, so anytime we have something, I'll bring you in until Lincoln comes back. Okay. It never seemed to happen. So anything <laughs> that came up with Lois and Clark, and it was Dean, um, yeah. 
we had this one sequence that Superman flies into this building. Somebody's messing with his powers. I don't remember the name of the episode. Sure. I think it's a red kryptonite situation. Where he's, yeah, yeah. But they yeah, blow yeah. up the building. Mm-hmm. And I have to be inside the building as the building is blown up. And then Superman walks out. Okay. And they made jokes with Dean about it. And Dean said, oh, no, no, you're definitely doing that. So <laughs> there were things that got to be more action oriented where yeah. I, I, I got to put on the suit a lot more. That's awesome. So so like you're like, obviously I'm looking at your resume again. It's not like you have a pause there for the next two or three seasons of Lois and Clark, but are you with the show, you know, when, when needed for the remainder for the rest of the series? They don't carry the stunt performers. We're on kind of a will call basis. Okay. And it's really cool, but I'm, I'm called in like at least a couple times a month for something Lois and Clark. There's a cool little thing. Um, they had done this H.G. Wells episode. Oh, my favorite. Yes. And I got to get in and know the producers and the director. And I talked to, to Wally about this. And I said, I got an idea that a guy comes from the future. And he kind of puts on a persona like a superhero. And he's got this time travel belt. And what happens is... Mm he kind of is able to do things because he knows what's going to happen. And when he messes up, he hits the belt. So it reverses. There are three times in my script, the lowest gets killed. Wow. Okay. And he pushes the button and he makes sure it doesn't. Yeah. Like when he pushes Lois out of the way of a moving truck, he pushes her and she falls down into a manhole. (laughs) The next time he pushes it and he pushes her the other way. And you find out that it's all dealing with the HG Wells series. So we did this kind of time travel where the guy was, because of the time belt, the time travel belt, which was taken from the H.G. Wells time machine, sort of the guy yeah. was faking Superman, his own style of Superman. It was an interest. Anyways, I got to get to where the producers were willing to read it. Interesting. And that's tough. Yeah. And they said, if you can drop the Now, I'm working on set that night and I've got the script in my bag. And they said, if you can drop it by the office you know, production, we'll be happy to look at it. Literally in full Superman gear, I'm running across the Warner Brother lot and I go through the front door, security sees me. I said, no, they're expecting me. I need to drop this off at so-and-so's thing. And I'm not crazy. I'm working. Is they loved it, but we never made another season. That that was it. With the oh. We were done and moving on and it was really cool, but it didn't happen. That's that's a killer to me. Like the yeah. H.G. Wells stuff, they went back to that so many times and, and I loved it pretty but much they, every they time. They sent that me the script great. back with really good feedback and said yeah. it was very creative. And anyways, and the fact that I was actually killing off principal actors, but then the guy would rewind. and then, Redo it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was the fun yeah. of the H.G. Wells stuff. Oh, that's yeah. so cool, man. Yeah. And then you're, you're also credited as like, I, I think a thug or something in one specific episode like what, i had what kind a of role delineates that yeah yeah what what had happened was um it's uh it's for the fans listening it's um sex lies and videotape in that's it four. that's yeah. it um i had to audition and the guy had to be pushed down uh an elevator shaft oh my god that's you that's me oh that's incredible i'm watching that again tonight that's so cool yeah yeah uh so that was my role is is i had to come in and the director was a little concerned that I was a stunt guy and not an actor, but he liked my reading, but he was very concerned that maybe I couldn't carry it off. And I'm like, uh, oh no, that won't be a problem. But 
they had decided they were going to go with the actors. This is kind of a weird, interesting story. Bear with me. Okay. And I guess casting had messed up when they got the information and they called my agent and they started negotiating the deal. And my agent <laughs> called and I said, no, they're going with uh, this other actor. And right. they called and said, no. And then I guess the um, casting called and said, oh shit, we made a mistake. And I called Wally Crowder and Wally said, wait a second, let me call and said, yeah, casting messed up, but since they're already negotiating and the other guy, they didn't hire him, they're going to go with you. All the right. The only thing again was the director was really, cause he thought stunt guy, not right. really an actor. Maybe not an double. actor. Yeah. And I ended up lucking out. I was good enough with the role that the director liked me, but was uncertain. So it kind of fell in my lap, so to speak. And That's I got awesome. to play it and I make some off weird comment death that we're all around this table and he has me stay behind and say something. And as the elevator door opens, he shoves me and I fall. Yeah, down. you're you're the subordinate that he just can't can't that's deal it. with anymore that's or something it. yeah oh, that's so funny man i'm watching that again but that that's that's awesome it, like was was it was it a fun experience at the time you don't have to say yes because we've, we've it was other I, I i liked it um there was i mean there was some some discontent um uh, terry would hold up shooting some time that's it's well known i'm not saying yeah, nobody yeah, this knows isn't, this isn't new yeah um Dean got mad one day. I rarely saw the guy get mad. Um, they had suited him up and he had to be in his harness. And then Terry was doing voice lessons and held everybody. And he got mad and said, why in the hell am I in this then? Hmm. And one of the reasons I I was told actually that they didn't pick up another season is they just didn't want to do it anymore. As much as they wanted to get at least a hundred episodes, it was too much of a. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. So yeah, long story short, it but it was a good experience for you, and, and you got. I mean, it. It's not like it was the first time you put a super suit on, too. Like, but it's yeah, but that's great. Yeah, Dean had. Um, Dean was really great. Dean was very fortunate and happy to be there. Um, I worked with Dean on a couple of other projects outside of it. Um, we have different political beliefs. I won't go into. We yeah, we've gone into them here. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you worked when you worked with him again. Was it as in a double capacity or? No, I was a stunt coordinator. It was a low budget horror movie, and his character—I do not remember the name of the movie—but um, his character has to get shoved across a room, and um, I put him on my air ram, and I actually had Dean ride the air ram backwards, and he was great. Um, cool. And then I put a cable on him so that we didn't do the shot where Dean hits the floor and I slide him across the floor. And it was all Dean. I didn't have to double wow. him or anything. And um, it was, he's always been a pleasure to work with. That's, that's nice to hear. Yeah. We, we, yeah. it it's can be an awkward show to be a fan of right now because of his politics. But, um, but that's, that's good to hear that. You know. You're looking at a huge fan of John Voigt, but I'm looking at the man going, what? Uh, yeah yeah exactly you know so. midnight cowboy um i can go down a whole series of things and then yeah. you listen to the man that says who drank the kool-aid so yep yep i'm with you man uh you're in good company um so th th that's incredible but like i said endless resume on on uh, imdb uh no problem if like say pass if you want to but can i hit you with a few titles and let me know if you have any memories or, or 
thoughts to, to add to you, those? You give it a shot. All right. So it's early and I mentioned it earlier, but Splash, what, what what's going on in Splash? Splash was so cool. Um, Ron Howard. Yeah. Opie Cunningham. Uh-huh. Uh, I couldn't believe it was, it was him directing. Um, we were out of the Statue of Liberty sequence where she comes out of the water. Uh-huh. We had a sequence where we um, we were soldiers. And a guy by the name of Vic Mignotta was, he was the main stunt coordinator in New York. And Vic had um, his small crew, but people that liked me and I got to do a couple of days on Splash. And so it was the military thing where the military was going and we were driving through the streets and moving and it was all stunt guys. Awesome, awesome. Um, Yeah, just like a, a classic on your resume that I have to ask about. Another one for me, hook oh god hook was so cool (laughs) hook was so cool um i was a sword guy from way back i worked with bh barry alan suddeth uh bill hobbs and bill hobbs for me is like the he was the god of swordplay uh we did three three musketeers um three and four musketeers the duelists i mean he was a phenomenal swordsman and i i knew swords and it got a little political. I was working a lot at the time. I was working on Star Trek Six and something else. And I was told I was going to work on Hook. And finally got an opening that I worked on Hook. And there was a whole boarding the ship. I was a pirate. And all of us were boarding. There were hundreds of stunt guys employed. Um, Gary Himes was the stunt coordinator. And I think he's a phenomenal coordinator, by the way, because he had all these co-captains that were co-coordinators that got segue segments into the group. Okay. And it was Spielberg. Yeah. And anyways, we were doing this, uh, all the boarding and the fighting, but for two weeks, literally we were laying on the deck dead. <laughs> all there. As, and, as Robin and Dustin are fighting or like what? Yeah. Yeah. As stuff was going on on the ship, there were the, there were all the pirate bodies and stuff strewn okay. around. Yeah. And it was this, and things would change like Spielberg would say, you know, I've always seen where the sword slices and the candles, you know, go sure. out. What happens if we slice and they go on? And so they would stop everything and they would just prepare this for the day. Mm. And my favorite hook story. So bear with you. I've got a great, it's um, Jim Arnett comes to me and says, Hey, you, you're, you're good at rigging, right? I said, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I know enough about it. And, he said, I need you to go to stage 27. And I'm like, oh, come on. Now I'm dressed up in pirate regalia. And what they want me to do is I have to be safety on the set. Okay. So I walk in and it's a small stage. And there's this setup like a cuckoo clock. And there's a weird camera over there. Well, that's industrial light magic. Yeah. And they're okay. shooting the sequence. And, uh, Julia Roberts comes in. Yeah. Rest is, is uh, Tinker Tinkerbell. And she um, she's supposed to sit up there and she's supposed to do the dialogue, you know, rooting on Rufio, you know, Rufio. And, this, and the camera is to enhance her wings. Okay. So they, they're shooting this for special effects. So they got this close on the small set. And I'm literally standing behind her with my hand on her butt to keep her braced so that she doesn't lean back. So I'm basically a butt wrangler sitting here mm-hmm. with my hands on Julia Roberts behind. Safety indeed, yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm, I love it, it's exciting, but the I, I, 
I'm a huge movie fan and I Spielberg and Francis Ford Coppola. And I could go down a list of things of people that I I've worked with and I've talked to. Mm. So we're waiting and nobody's shooting anything. There's just a lot of talk. And Steven Spielberg comes in and we're, he's talking and he's directing and we're breaking this stuff down and he's on the phone with people and he goes, hey, Harrison, yeah, no, we're shooting this here and so forth. And then they got into talking <laughs> about stunts. And he's, I guess, Terry Leonard, who was like, has worked with Spielberg forever along with uh, uh, Lynn Randall, okay. did all the Indiana Jones movies and E.T. and all this. But he said, well, you know, they started talking about Terry. He said, well, don't even let Terry, you know, jump off an Apple box anymore. So they have this whole discussion. And in between takes, we're talking about regarding Henry. Okay. And if I offend everybody, I do voices. I don't mean to. Julia had an assistant. Um, he was extremely feminine the way he talked. It's, oh, my God, we can't do this. Oh, my God, we can't do that. Um, and it was a really cool conversation. And we started talking about regarding Henry. And Steven Spielberg hadn't seen it yet. And he's, I just thought it was so, so phony. I mean, he heals so quick. And I said, well, I disagree. Because if you look at the wound on his head, and it's healing. You realize the time frame as it moves, as he's relearning. Mm -hmm. And Stephen, of course, jumped in and so forth. But for about four and a half hours, I got to have a private directing class with Steven Spielberg. So out of anything else I did on Hook, that was the coolest thing was to oh, sit there the and watch him, talk about things, have a conversation with him, watch him direct, you know, Julia Roberts. Right. So that was kind of the best thing on Hook. Everything oh, my else, God. Was a cool movie and very enjoyable. Yeah. And that was a cool experience. And the whole time you're dressed as a pirate, yeah? Yeah, I had the <laughs> beard that got glued on and it's just sent uh, on. That's well, great. What, battle sequence. what a like Hollywood moment. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, you know, Hollywood moment. You, you're talking Spielberg, Coppola, another great that you worked with, Mel Brooks, Robin Hood Men in Tights. I love Mel Brooks. Come on, um, man. There's a, there's a picture of me with Mel, with Carrie Elwes, and I'm dressed as Robin Hood. Um, Amazing. It's on my website. I, I, it's, we'll we'll it's, be reposting all this stuff, too, folks, yeah. when, when this goes um, up. So check out the, the social. But but, yeah. There was this sequence where Robin comes in and, and hits one night, and they go down like dominoes. Mm -hmm. And Victor Paul was a sword master, and he was coordinating this sequence. He was, I love Victor. Victor's old school. Uh, he used to double Burt Ward on the Batman series. Wow. Okay. And uh, Victor is, was the main sword guy. Um, there was Freddie Cavins, and there were a couple of others, but Victor was along that line. He was the sword guy. And I had to swing in, and his son was doubling um, Carrie at the time but couldn't get the swing down. So they brought me in okay. and I started doubling Carrie for the sequence. And Carrie was great to work with in the movie. And um, at one point I had come in and when I did, I overshot. So I hit the floor. I did a front flip and a roll and came up. And uh, like I had meant to do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mel had come up to me and was trying to say, oh, that was really cool. I liked that. What, what, what was that what you were doing? And I, I was trying to explain it. And, he said, and I said, you know, it'd be really cool if you kind of hold up signs like that. <laughs> and it's in the movie. Yeah, they actually yeah. hold up the sign. And he goes, Leva, Leva, what's that Jewish? It's Jewish, right? I said, no. It's no, 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 no. It couldn't be Jewish. Don't do this. It's a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're doing that. It wouldn't be Jewish. Jews don't do that. They don't do the heavy work. 
but it was a lot of fun. And later on, there's a bookstore. I forget the name, the soup book soup in okay. downtown LA. I mm -hmm. love that bookstore. And Mel and Carl Reiner were both there signing their 200 year old man book. Yep. Okay. And I went in and I brought the picture of me and, uh, Mel goes, oh my God, what is this? Oh, you worked on this. She says, who's that beautiful guy there? And I said, that's you. He says, of course, I know that's me. What do you mean? Um, <laughs> but he signed the picture. We talked a little bit about it. Um, it was a pleasure. I mean, it was Mel Brooks. I mean, you know, you're looking at uh, young Frankenstein. You're looking yeah, oh, at Blazing uh, Saddles, producer. Blazing Saddles, and you could go down a list. But And he definitely had this off-the-wall sense of humor, and it was it was a lot of fun to work on. It was just amazing. Such a pleasure. And the, the lunch, one of the best lunches ever we go out, they had these baby lobsters and they said, whatever the menu was, I mean, you're thinking it's, you know, it's not kosher, but nonetheless, <laughs> but here we are. Yeah. And I had a lot of people would come up to me and say, wow, I really loved you in this movie. And I said, no, that's not me. And I realized later in makeup and hair, I actually looked a lot like Carrie. So it was kind of, cool. Oh, wow. Okay. That's yeah. funny, man. Yeah. Um, Less less of a behind the camera pedigree, but uh, I'm a 1990s kid. So mm -hmm. the fact that I saw doubled as the Red Ranger in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers on your resume today, I was like, I've got to embarrass myself and ask him about this. Like what infamous productions on that show? Like what what were you involved with in that? Um, a friend of mine was a stunt coordinator and needed acrobatic and so forth. And first things mm -hmm. all of us played were putties. Yeah. Okay. And so were they, they were shooting new footage, like famously they, they grabbed footage from, from the Japanese show for well, a the whole of thing is Saban bought but... the rights to power Rangers in Japan. Right. And they took all the Japanese footage with the power Rangers and all this other stuff. And they, reset and redid so a lot of the action and the monsters and all the flying and stuff happened from japan right um and then they integrated new stuff with new actors so they'd always do their thing but once in a while they get into martial arts fights with the putties okay and the guy that was doubling the putty um i forget his name which bugs me wardrobe <laughs> had a problem because he had a bubble butt and he said his butt's too big compared to too big for a putty uh, no, for the Red Ranger. Oh, okay. Excuse me. Um, and so they ended up putting me in the suit because um, I was more the guy's build and I didn't have... I, the guy was built, by the way. I mean, he was muscular. And sure. it just happened that part of the musculature was his behind. And, but mm -hmm. they just felt it was... You could definitely tell it wasn't Jason. Okay. Or whatever the actor's name was again. Uh, really Jason happy. was the character, but nicely done. That was impressive. Um, so, but I got a lot of fun. I mean, I got to flip off a thing when we were down at Malibu beach and, uh, we reversed the camera and we back flipped up and, uh, jumps and fights and so forth. So I, mm -hmm. I ended up wearing the red ranger uniform. So is a production like that, um, kind of more down and dirty as, a, as compared to like another Lois and Clark at the time, like what's the different feel there? Um, it was definitely, it was a kid show. It was a kid show budget. Um, the big lifesaver for them, for Saban, was the fact that they had all this footage. Right. And they were going to go on forever. Um, what's interesting is one of the longest running, most popular shows of Power Rangers, every year they'd switch out to a new Power Ranger. Right. 
right. in Japan. And that was big. And I think Saban finally learned that if they were going to move, like how many seasons was it before they brought in new Power Rangers? Two or yeah, three? Yeah, I don't know. Two or three. Yeah. Yeah. And how a lot of the things, I mean, I liked it that the people, the actors were always fun. I forget the black kid's name. That was the Black Ranger and the Red Ranger were sitting in the car and they were like really riding high. They were all excited. And they were doing something like they were kind of little bit of an attitude and I, I had walked by and I said you know yeah you guys you should ride the wave I said dear god you're hot and heavy I said you can have any girl you want they'll all be under 10 but you can have any girl you want <laughs> and they both they both looked embarrassed but laughed at the same time yeah. um but it, it was kind of they were neat the actors and um it, it was years later I was working on another movie and uh Tren I had found out it passed away and I didn't right. know that um I wasn't really following up with who was who and what they were doing. Uh, a stunt guy by the name of Precious Jenkins was really good friends with a lot of them. He was good friends with her. Okay. And when we were working, um, he had told me, and I was like, oh, that's really sad. Because they were really fun people. They, yeah. they were very happy to be working. And, you know, they were like superstars as the kids. Uh, I mean, they, were the, cartoon genre. they were the coolest people in the world to me at four years oh, old. Oh, God, yeah. You know, like, it was absolutely. Fun. Mm-hmm. Um, years later in life, though, my, my television tastes evolved a bit to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. What, 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 what was your involvement there? Originally, I was doing rigging and equipment. And then the guy, John Medlin, uh, really good guy, very down to earth. You wouldn't think he belongs being a stunt guy, very non egotistical. <laughs> uh, he was doing the stunt coordinating second unit, really good fight guy. And with a lot of the stuff I brought in, I got lucky and he would bring me in to be, uh, a weird demon or sure. something else. And um, I saw an image online to you of you in like total, like almost demon biker. Yeah, we were demon yeah. bikers and we had to ride bikes. And um, okay. it was kind so, of a cool sequence. I worked on, on that for a week. And there were other things too that uh, I think I usually end up playing like a minion or a vampire or something. And sure. I, I worked on quite a few episodes of that near the last couple of seasons is there an extra complication for that type of thing too where where you've got suddenly three layers of latex on your face too and you're supposed to hit the mark or do the twist no no usually stub work i mean it was supposed to be total chaos they were taking over the streets and yeah, yeah, yeah. everything was very well planned at top of the line as far as bikers and everything else that everyone i'm a good biker these guys were better girls okay. and guys were were but they were the ones that were going to drive over the cars and stuff. It would be constantly, um, I would be moving and swerving. They would be kind of doing, but we had a pretty good, uh, I remember because I had talked to John specifically about mentioning names of people and other people that mentioned names of bikers. And when we were talking about it, he said, well, I want to bring you on. I said, well, I'm not a top biker. It's not all for these. You don't have to be. Very cool. But yeah, there was, there was a couple of those fun episodes. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, speaking of, like, you know, costumes and superheroes and stuff, there's a great shot of you with some Wolverine claws, uh, I, I guess, rehearsing with a stunt saber tooth. You, you worked on the first X-Men movie. Yeah, it was um, originally the guy was in the James Bond movie that was supposed to play Wolverine. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, oh, I forget. Yes. He's on the Batwoman series now. Dugray yeah. Scott. Yes, Dugray Scott. That's him. Yeah. Uh, he was supposed to play uh, Wolverine, but there got to be some issues. I choreographed the Statue of Liberty head fight and started training. Really? All the actors. Um, and special effects had made up these uh, kind of, 
I don't know the right material it was. It wasn't wood, but you'd fit them on and you'd hold on to the uh, little piece here and then the wood. And then we would do the choreography. Um, and then originally I had brought in Tyler Maine to be the stunt double. They hadn't cast Sabretooth. Yeah, okay. And so he was brought in as stunts first. Yeah, originally we were looking at somebody. He was in the stunt player's directory, which was like the Bible for stunt people. And the director liked him so much, he literally got cast to play Sabretooth. That's awesome. So then we brought in Troy. Um and I started working with Troy, but the that's Tyler Main I'm I'm working with because we didn't have a double for. Tyler. Oh, is it? Excuse um, me. Okay, I couldn't tell. So in the picture, that's Tyler, and I was working on the Statue of Liberty head fight, and then when uh, they finally cast Hugh Jackman, um, I started working with Hugh Jackman, and I told him all about the Berserk Rage, Berserker Rage. I talked about. I said the one thing which you won't relate to is Wolverine's got a short man complex. Yeah. Wolverine's like five foot four at the most. Right. And then you're looking at Sabretooth, who's like seven four. <laughs> and I tried to work with that thing, and he was a pleasure. I mean, I, I to this day, if you mention my name to Hugh, he's got nothing but nice things to say about me. I love Hugh Jackman. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, just a few more here. Um, stunt rigger for Desperate Housewives. You, are you working with Terry again at that point? Like what? what, what yeah, that was interesting. Terry, Terry had a, a bad reputation um, <laughs> and she had promised to come around. I actually, I, I played parts on Desperate Housewives. I worked in the, the IMED doesn't even touch on a 10th of what I did. The, oh, that's my feeling with all this stuff, you know, especially talking to you now. I'm like, I, well, I'm sure you were there. I didn't really post that. on IMED. Somebody else was doing it for, for most of us or production yeah. to do it. And so there are probably, if I get these residuals that are foreign residuals that are like 10 pages and most of it goes Desperate Housewives, Desperate Housewives, Desperate Housewives, and it's 30 cents, 50 cents, a dollar 50 sure. and all this other stuff. But there was a slew of episodes, um, which I just put Desperate Housewives down. I didn't put every episode down. And some of the episodes were put down, like anything that was safety rigging, I did it. The same thing with uh, like The Office. I also was, I was gonna doing ask, safety yeah. rigging and I set a stunt woman's head on fire that was doubling one of the actors. Mm -hmm. Moroccan Christmas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was, I love that. They're great people. Incredible episode. Um, yeah. But there's a bunch of Office episodes that aren't listed. There's a bunch of Dexter episodes that aren't listed. There's a slew of Desperate Housewives. We had a riot in on on uh, on, uh, on the street, Serial Lane. Was there, Lane. there was this whole big thing, and I was on that for a week and a half. Wow. Um, wow. But I had been on Desperate Housewives for years. Nuts. Um, um, but the, it, no, but as I said, rigging was why I, I, for some reason I think the rigging is on the IMBD compared to all these other. I think if you listed episodes, it would be like my credits would just keep going, going, going as far as the <laughs> too. So I'm sure. Well, I mean, like your, your Lois and Clark credits are, are clearly um, incomplete. So I, I'm. Oh, yeah. I, there was a lot more imagine. Lois and Clark, uh, yeah. a lot more Star Trek um, that I'd worked on that I. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and you seem to jump around from series to series with Star Trek started with, would you start with six or with next gen? The first thing I, well, I did next generation. Okay. Um, I was on that for a little bit. And then um, I did always end up to where one time I got cut, I was supposed to be in a hallway and work was supposed to bump by me and I was supposed to get knocked into a wall. 
And in the end, I ended up being an overpaid extra. You actually see me. I walk by camera. My face is there, but work awesome. never bumps into me. Yeah. And there were a couple of things. I played a Jimadar. I played a Klingon. Uh, I played a crew member when we first introduced the Jimadar, and I was security, and we were in the yellow suits. Yeah, okay. And this is cool for me because all the suits had these pads in them. Mm-hmm. And the, I this there. is season, is this season one too? Like, you know, no, early this on, was, uh, early suits or later on? Later. Okay. I don't remember the seasons, um, but it was the first show with the Jim Adar and we're supposed to, but with wardrobe, they actually had to, this was cool because I still had my gymnast build and I had the shoulders and they ended up having to take the shoulder pads out. And I thought, okay, good. <laughs> so I was kind of good. out yeah. of that. That's um, good. But as we're going on and we're doing the sequence and they're explaining to us, we're down at, uh, one of the parks, it might have been uh, Griffith Park. We were in the back over there. Okay. And the Jimadar is supposed to attack. And I'm standing there and I said, I'm security, right? Yeah. I said, I'm not living through this, am I? They said, oh, no, you're the first to die. I said, yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, I get, I get uh, you know, slagged. You're done right away. Yeah. Yeah. But, That's awesome. uh, and yeah, I, I, I was a, a whole slew of things on there. I had this thing because I worked on Star Trek VI with the original cast. Mm-hmm. And I got to meet everybody. I was on the Excelsior with um, uh, George Takei. That was his first command. Right. Um, and then I worked on the Enterprise. Um, I was a Klingon uh, in the transporter room. They shoot him and I get hit against the wall and all the blood floats out. And I was on that for the longest time. But I literally met everybody. Yeah. And that was cool because that was the original cast. Absolutely. And as we were going, I had worked on... Deep Space Nine, I had worked on Voyager, and I had worked on um, Enterprise? Next Generation. Okay. They decided to bring in a new crew on Enterprise. Oh, okay. Suda. And one of the guys I designed and built airbags, and I built this airbag for stunt kids. And okay. uh, Mike Cassidy was a really nice guy, and he was friends with Vince Dedrick, who was the stunt coordinator on enterprise and i was going to replace his fan he said what do i owe you i said just do me a favor talk to vince i want one day on enterprise so logistically i could say i worked on every star trek <laughs> even up to the point it was star trek six but it's the original series so Still. i want to be able to say i worked on every star trek now i have not worked on you know the new one where that shoots in canada um, yeah but the of the original you know yeah, so I got one day doubling on uh, Star Trek Enterprise, so I can logistically say I worked on every Star Trek. You've got the full set. That's awesome. Yeah, pretty man. much. Pretty much. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Um, uh, last last title to throw at you. I was a huge fan of Terminator: The Saracana Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, still one of those like gone too soon's for me. What what was what was you? What was you? Excuse me. What were you doing on that? Different things. Uh, rigging. Uh, airbag uh, played uh, somebody in a psychiatric ward, one of the uh, the attendees. I was dressed okay. in white. Um, Does a show like that with, with Terminators throwing people around all the time like keep you busier than, than something else? Usually you know, like, there's a lot of stuff. It was a big action show. They brought in the yeah. original stunt coordinator from Terminator who has Oh, really? Phenomenal... I didn't know that. Yeah, Joel Kramer, um, phenomenal stunt coordinator. I mean, big, big action. Yeah. Um, Terminator literally put him on the map, Terminator 2. He's a phenomenal, well, well-versed, well very talented stunt coordinator. And cool. 
He was the second unit director. It was like doing a movie. They had a huge budget. I was going to say, there's some episodes of that show. Like, I remember the season two premiere was just a brawl and run across the city trying to get away from Summer Glau. It's just like that show looked so good sometimes. It was incredible. No, it was it was phenomenal. The special effects, the action. I mean, the budget was like a feature film. The only other thing that ever surpassed budgets was Star Trek. Really? I mean, they had these, you know, multi-million dollar budgets every week. But that's part of the reason if it wasn't doing great in the ratings, why yeah. it didn't go any further is you're not going to spend that type of money. Bit of a target on its back for that. Yeah. Yeah. Much. Makes sense. Well, I mean, like I really encourage everyone that's listened to go check out your your incomplete list of credits on IMDb and then yell at me for the things that I didn't uh, ask Scott about, please. But um I, I can't thank you enough for for taking the time to talk with me. Like, what what's what's going on for you now? Like, are, are you out? Pandemic slowed working? things down. Certainly, um, sure. A lot of things that I was doing have either been pushed or canceled. I was hoping they're doing a new Toxic Avenger, and I'm kind of like, you know, saw that pop up. Part of my history resume, absolutely. Avenger. Yeah. And the producer Lloyd Kaufman, uh, he's a huge friend, but they decided to go to Bulgaria. So they're going to Bulgaria. And I, my understanding is they're not bringing a lot of, so keep, I did get a nice down. email from the director, Macon Blair, that said, I know who you are and I got your stuff, but you know, not going to work on this one, but that was kind of a, a hope that, so the pandemic, uh, which we're still dealing with, which is why I can't believe some people are still supportive and huge. Oh my God. Why isn't that man still president? I, I don't want to. Even yeah, there's no. You're in. You're in good but it's cost, company. Uh, it's cost a lot. Work-wise, companies I work for um, went down. I'm still waiting for Cirque to open up. Um, I've designed and built stuff for Cirque, which is now incredible. Waiting and um, looking for work. It's been a really slow couple of years. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I hopefully when we do finally get out of this for real, that that picks up for you. I didn't realize you did 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 Cirque du Soleil work. That's incredible. Yeah, there's um, my website, Precision Stunts. If you click on the Cirque logo, it shows you this huge airbag I designed and built specifically for the show Kong. I was going to ask, is that like you've mentioned airbags a few times? You got a uh, Academy Award for designing an airbag back in 2006. Yeah, there were a lot of. Um, deaths and major injuries with airbags and i lost my best friend to an accident where he hit the bag and went to the ground and i figured there's got to be a better way an airbag's supposed to so i redesigned the bag to where if you hit it it rolls you in and there's a slew of people alive today that literally hit my bag wrong and wouldn't be here otherwise that's incredible scott like not only I, i'm so sorry to hear that you know the, the the catalyst for it was was losing your friend like that but not only have you have you taken part in this part of the industry for so long, but you've you've added to it and you've made it better for people. That's 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 superhero stuff, man. That's incredible. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, cool. Doesn't doesn't buy me a cup of coffee, but I, I have a it's... an Emmy and an Oscar and a bunch of nominations and what we do. And no, that that's that type of thing. That's fantastic, man. Yeah. Um, and you're a nerd to boot, so you were you were always welcome here on Lois and Clark, Scott. Um, I I can't thank you enough. Um, everyone, like I said, please check out um, Scott's site. Uh, it will have links to everything uh, when this episode's up. Um, but but 
till then, uh, hope to hope to speak with you again, sir. No, maybe, it was a pleasure. Maybe... It was a lot of fun. So, yeah, good. Well, maybe when this uh, uh, pandemic's over, we we can uh, meet up or something. But uh, absolutely, it'd be nice to get back to normal. Yes, please. Yeah. Uh, but till then, dude, thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Lois and Clark: The New Adventures of Superman will continue in a moment. So ends another day in Metropolis. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed that because I sure as hell did. I can't thank Scott enough for joining me in talking Superman and Hook and Power Rangers and more Marvel than this podcast has ever seen. Uh, but totally worth it from from you know Stan Lee's Spider Man himself. Um, so everybody, we are coming to the end of season three here. I cannot believe it, but we'll be back uh, in two weeks with Mr. Craig Byrne. But till then. That was Scott Leva. I've been Matt Truex. Folk off, everybody. See you next time. Bye. Bye.